My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. That honestly is, is not enough motivation to keep you on the straight and narrow path, making the right choices, obeying God's law, etc. What it instead comes down to is a deep, deep love for your creator and a love and then just like savor all of God's blessings at the end of the day. Lining up in a row, putting a square peg in a square hole, a round peg in a round hole, learning at the same pace as the rest of the classroom, getting exposed to peer pressure and bullying. So key on... It was kind of funny because I I, actually, I don't know if I've told this story before in a podcast. I may have. Faith, family, fitness, health, performance, nutrition, longevity, ancestral living, biohacking, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show. Hey folks, it's Ben Greenfield. Got another great podcast for you uh, recorded in London during my visit to London for the fantastic Health Optimization Summit. If you get a chance to to go to this summit uh, next year, you absolutely should uh, here in London. Anyways, though, Roger Snipes, a very well-known professional UK-based bodybuilder, uh, reached out to me and uh, we decided that we would do an interview together while walking in the park. So we discuss a wide range of topics from fitness to faith to family. I think you'll enjoy this one. All the show notes are going to be at bengreenfieldlife.com slash roger snipes. That's bengreenfieldfitness.com slash roger s-n-i-p-e-s. All right, whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, to reach farther, to go the extra mile. That relentless drive might run in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with the personalized plan to build endurance, to boost energy, and to optimize your health for the long haul. So it's created by fantastic scientists in aging and genetics and biometrics. They analyze your blood, your DNA, your fitness tracking data, stuff that would have cost you tens of thousands of dollars from some fancy longevity institute a decade ago. You now get in the comfort of your own home, along with an action plan from Inside Tracker with personalized guidance on how to exercise, how to eat, and how to supplement based on your specific blood test results. You can even connect it with your Fitbit or your Garmin and get real-time recovery pro tips based on your blood results after you finish your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer, nutritionist, and blood analyzer in your pocket. You get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store with all their offerings at insidetracker.com slash Ben. That's insidetracker.com slash Ben. You might be wondering whether your sleep is truly optimized. Well, the bed is obviously a big, big part of this. The mattress, particularly. Uh, there's a mattress company that I've been working with. They're called Essentia. You may have heard the podcast that I did with their founder, Jack. And what Essentia does is they dial in the seven key parts of sleep that you need for recovery and for performance and for optimization during sleep. Not just sleep, but deep sleep. So they've tested these mattresses by the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. They're allergen-free They got a bunch of technology packed into them for things like active cooling, EMF protection, accelerated recovery, better deep sleep cycles. I mean, this this is like the mattress that pro athletes sleep on for this reason. It doesn't have any like electronic bells and whistles in it. So it's not blasting with Wi-Fi and technology all night while you sleep. You know, it's just it's one of those things where I'd just rather not be tied down to technology while I sleep, but instead sleep all naturally on these mattresses and they're just like organic as hell. It's pretty crazy. So they're having a Memorial Day sale. And uh, the way that you can participate in that sale, which is going to get you 25% off, plus a free set of their GOTS certified organic cotton sheets, which is a almost a $300 value in and of itself, is just go to myessentia.com slash Ben Greenfield. That's myessentia, M-Y-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A dot com slash Ben Greenfield. And uh, if you want to get an additional 200 bucks off your mattress on top of a Memorial Day sale, here's the insider secret code. Careful, don't blast this too far and wide. It's just for you guys. BG200, myessentia.com slash Ben Greenfield. Code is BG200. I, it's it's always difficult to start a podcast when technically you're interviewing me, but I brought the equipment, so so I don't I don't know who gets first dibs on the introduction, Roger. But I must say, for anybody who is listening in, uh, we're walking through a park right now, 
in London with a portable microphone. So if you hear, you know, a bird get run over by a tractor, that's why. So anyways, <laughs> I'll, I'll shut up now. Awesome traffic, <laughs> that's for sure. But look, um, it's a great pleasure to meet you in person. I was actually thinking that it was going to be via Zoom. Um, <laughs> but to see you in person is great, man. Oh, it's How so much! It's so much better. We get we get to absorb each other's electromagnetic frequencies, oh, and yeah, and, uh, it's always a different conversation when you're face to face, or at least walking side by side, than Zoom. I'm six foot two inches. Six two. Yeah, right. six foot two, and I, I weigh about uh, one seventy five. But I gotta tell you, and I'm only gonna tell you this because I know you're, you know, you have a history of bodybuilding, at least a little bit, a little tiny just, bit. Just a tiny. Just a tiny. when I was in college. I was six foot two, and I was bodybuilding, and I was two fifteen. So, so I was forty pounds heavier than I am right now. So your your training has obviously changed since then. What's what's your sort of training regimen at the moment? Oh well, it's it's uh, it's very simple actually. I am at the stage of my life where I'm trying to prioritize a lot of time with my sons. They're fourteen years old, so they're kind of in those formative years when I think they they really need a father around leading them through a lot of things so i've so i've kind of steered the direction of my workouts to be inclusive of a couple of teenage boys taking along with me so it's pretty much like four things the foundation of my training kettlebells sauna ice and breath work okay so kettlebell sauna ice and breath work so i've taken the russian kettlebell certification and the strong first certification you know do a lot of kettlebell snatches kettlebell cleans kettlebell swings kettlebell deadlifts goblet squats etc uh, I'm in the sauna four to five times a week in a deep sweat for 30 to 40 minutes. I, uh, I'm in the cold plunge every day, typically after the sauna, sometimes a couple times a day, two to four minute cold plunges. And then uh, typically anywhere from from a 15 minute breathwork session three times a week all the way up to five times a week with an occasional like long, like 60 to 90 minute more like holotropic type of breathwork session in, mm-hmm. which interestingly covers a lot of your bases from it cardiovascular standpoint as well and then i walk a ton you know i i when i travel i probably walk 20 to thirty thousand steps a day when i'm at home it's closer to like 12 to twenty thousand steps so a lot of walking when i'm talking on the phone when i'm having chats with guys like you and so uh the only the only thing kind of missing from what i just presented to you in terms of kettlebells ice heat and breath work is that as a guy who's known to be like a biohacker, people send me a lot of like biohacking equipment, like blood flow restriction bands and a Vasper machine and these like like the ARX single set, the failure machine. Mm. And I sprinkle that stuff in, uh, you know, kind of like for fun throughout the week. I'll throw in a few sessions here and there, but typically I'm doing something hard for a half hour a day. And then everything else is just low-level physical activity spread throughout the entire day. So my kettlebell workouts are a half hour, my saunas are a half hour, you know, my my breathwork sessions range. Um, you know, if I'm using these biohacking modalities, typically a half hour, I find that that's just kind of like the sweet spot for me, which is great compared to the three hours a day in the gym when I was bodybuilding. <laughs> See, you know, split body split training. <laughs> oh man, the precision in training. Sometimes it just takes too much time. As you yeah. know, when I sent you the message, I was in the gym for a bit, trying to trying to get it all in, and then I went back a bit later to do some Muay Thai. Um, and I'll tell you what, the Muay Thai, that was so much more conditioning work. Oh, yeah. I was exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I, I, I roll with my sons every once in a while, and I used to do a lot of striking. And, yeah, those, those rounds where, you know, you got like a, you know, sometimes, you know, the coach would have us do like two-minute rounds, 30 seconds off, and 10 rounds of that. And you're just smoked by the end. You know, jiu-jitsu sometimes longer, four or five minutes. So, yeah, it's, it's great. Great conditioning. Absolutely. So you know, when, I, when I was a bodybuilder, though, I, I did almost all, you know, I joked about body split training. I didn't do a lot of that, you know, because right. I was a lean gainer, I was, mm. you know, skinny, hard gainer. And so um, for me, I found a lot of success with about four times a week, full body, full body, like heavy. So, it, you know, squats, cleans, yeah. deadlifts, push press. And then on the weekends, I'd do a little bit of vanity work, you know, like biceps, calves, <laughs> and things like that. But, but that worked really well for me and actually kind of cut down the amount of time I had to spend in the gym. Mm. What's your current body fat? Because you're looking super shredded in your pictures. Yeah, it's it's. Oh, so since I was 14 years old, it's always been four to eight percent. I eat like a horse. Yeah. I can eat like 4,000 calories a day. You know, my my metabolism is screaming high. My parents are lean. All my <laughs> siblings are lean. 
my wife is even leaner than me, like a lean, skinny Montana rancher <laughs> kind of girl. So, yeah, there's just, d- despite us loving our butter and lard and ghee and fatty ribeye steaks and salmon skin and everything else at the house, like, we, uh, we Greenfields don't seem to be able to pack on weight very well. So, to talking about that with all the meat and stuff, do you have a farm at home? Because I know yeah. you do some, um, some hunting as well. So, what's... What's your whole uh, protocol there yeah. when it comes to meat? Yeah, so my, my diet is largely kind of like a nose-to-tail carnivorous type of diet. I do a lot of bone broth, bone marrow, uh, steaks, rumps, roast, chops, liver, heart, kidney, a lot of the organ meats. Uh, and then I dress that up with, from a very ancestral standpoint, for carbohydrates, a lot of cellular living carbohydrates versus acellular process carbohydrates so Mm -hmm. what i mean by that is purple potato taro sweet potato yam parsnip beet carrot underground root vegetables things like that right for the for the primary carbohydrate source and then uh the other things that i kind of throw in there is a little bit of raw honey some dark dark berries like low glycemic index berries um Mm. i do a little bit you know people ask what about the fiber when you're eating all the meat and i get a lot of a lot of fiber from from foods that fill me up that are very satiating but are low in calories so i do a lot of like the japanese yam noodles i'll do a lot of the pumpkin mash sea mm. moss gel chia seed slurries and the nice part about eating a lot of these foods you know even bone broth of course with like the gelatinous bone broth a lot of these foods that are higher in gelatin or, or thick or clumpy or in a gel-like format they're actually um they're better able to hydrate the body and carry water through the body because you know, if you look at dr gerald pollock's research at mm-hmm. University of Washington on, on the fourth phase of water and water able to be in like this gel-like structure, which actually is in our cells. Uh, if, you're, if you're getting a lot of your hydration from these, these water-rich foods that are carrying water and kind of nourishing the gut, I find that to be very satiating. And that's, that's kind of how I get my fiber. And so, gotcha. um, the, so that's, that's generally my diet. The only thing I throw in is, uh, um, you know, from a product standpoint, there's one company in the U.S. called Tom Cowan's Vegetable Powders. And so he, he basically takes, like, organic heirloom vegetables and powders them. And, you know, you got, like, turmeric extract and broccoli and, and high-protein leaf powder and, and root powder and all these wonderful powders. So I'll sprinkle that a lot of times in the same way one might salt their food. <laughs> and then I also right. use, for oils, uh, the only seed or plant-based oils that I touch are aside from extra virgin olive oil or avocado oil uh, from a company called Andrea Seed Oils. And for those, these are like very, very high quality, cold pressed, never been exposed to oxidity or rancidity or temperature or pressure, but they're like chia seed, flax seed, sunflower seed, but these aren't like rancid, bastardized plant oils. They're super duper high quality. And a lot of times I'm drizzling stuff like that over the meat. And then most of the meat is either stuff I bow hunt um, we've got goats and chickens at home, so we do a lot of goat milk, goat yogurt, uh, eggs, <laughs> things like that. And awesome. then uh, I do a lot of ordering from U.S. Wellness Meats. That's one company in the U.S. that ships out a lot of these you know, non-standard cuts and strange cuts of meat and you know, free shipping if you, if you do a big enough order. So I just keep my freezer stocked with that, mm-hmm. the meat that I've hunted. And then there's another company. I don't know what it's like in the U.K. if they have these companies that will ship food to you. Uh, like not boxes. quite the same. Okay, but there's another one called Seatopia, and they ship like sashimi grade fish to my house each month. So that's where I get a lot of the seafood, like kampachi and salmon collars, and you know, really nice tr- cuts of trout and scallops and the like. So, so yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty varied. But you know, I'd say 80% of it is kind of like meat and seafood. Awesome. How do you make your decisions, like with your variety of food? Is it through? Um, I don't know, different sorts of tests. Have you done like a yeah. microbiome test to check, yeah. okay, these are the sort of foods I should be eating? Sure. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, and, and this is why I've never really written a diet book because there is no one perfect diet for all of humankind, right? It's going to mm-hmm. widely vary based on your, your individual biochemistry, everything from the size of your stomach or your spleen or your pancreas or your liver to the, your vitamin D excretion rates or your uric acid excretion rates or your needs from an activity level or your genetic predisposition. You know, maybe you have mm. familial hypercholesteremia and poor gallbladder and liver function, so the ketogenic diet might not be the best you know, choice for you based on just a couple simple parameters like that. And so from a testing standpoint, what I do and what I have a lot of the, like the client's I might work with doing nutrition plans for I do a uh, I do a stool test it's like a three-day stool test 
uh, by doctor's data. And that one allows me to look at parasites, yeast, fungus, bacterial markers, microbial imbalances, things like that. And then I do a, like a basic blood panel, you know, your comprehensive metabolic panel and, and your, uh, your lipid count, thyroid, um, you know, just all the all the basic parameters you get from a blood. Mm. And then I do a more micronutrient and toxin-based blood test called the NutraVal. And that one looks at a lot of smaller fungal markers, amino acids, fatty acid balances, omega indexes, etc. And then uh, for food allergy, a uh, really, really good gold standard panel that doesn't result in a lot of false positives is called a Cyrex. So I'll do a Cyrex panel for food allergies. And then uh, for the hormones, urine is best because it gives you a really good like running 24-hour view of the hormones rather than blood, which will give you a one-time snapshot. Yeah. So the best test for that is called the Dutch, the dried urine test, and that'll also give you some information about neurotransmitter balances, melatonin, you know, upstream and downstream cortisol metabolites, what's testosterone getting converted into, what do the estrogen pathways look like, etc. And then uh, the, the last one would be just like a salivary genetic analysis to see not only what, what you might be primed to eat from an ancestral standpoint, because there is something to that, you know, like what your mm. ancestors ate is something that you might be more accustomed to, to be able to tolerate. And the other thing you find out from these genetic tests, you know, let's say like the, the dirty genes test by Dr. Ben Lynch called strategy. Yeah. It's a fantastic example. You can find out what do your nitric oxide pathways look like? What do your sulfur, uh, sulfur metabolism pathways look like? What do your, your, your histamine tolerance or intolerance pathways look like? So you can kind of see if there's certain things that you might want to do from a genetic standpoint to clean things up or, or add in. That's awesome. I mean, that's a lot. So how would that work with your family? You know, not every, <laughs> yeah. you've all got slightly different microbiomes or maybe yeah. it's quite similar because you eat the same. How? Yeah, exactly. There is something to your local uh, environment influencing your biome characteristics, the people that you're around, you share bacteria with them, uh, how long you've lived in a certain area and the type of foods you've grown accustomed to in that area. So if you look at, at my family, um, we, we eat somewhat similarly. Probably a few differences would be when carbohydrates come out to the table. I'm very low carb. I have a little bit more sensitivity when it comes to blood glucose fluctuations, and I'm always highly cognizant of that. So my family will do a lot more of the, like the rice or the sourdough bread or the sweet potato or something like that. I'm usually kind of low on that. I'm usually heavier on the meat. A lot of times my wife will make a lovely salad, but I don't do a lot of raw vegetables. So I might have a very tiny, tiny bit of the salad, but then I'll have extra meat. But every night at our house, you know, there's options for veg, there's options for starch, there's options for meat. And really it's more of like macronutrient considerations because all the food is super healthy. And occasionally there's something like, I mentioned the Cyrex food allergy test. Like one of the few foods I truly have an intolerance to from an autoimmune standpoint is green beans, right? So maybe... Mm -hmm. You know, there will be a dish with green beans, but I'll pick around the green beans, you know. And so, so it's, it's, it's pretty simple, you know, and, and I, I could see there being a more problematic scenario where perhaps someone who can't tolerate fats at all is married to someone with Alzheimer's and dementia who needs to be very, very careful because that's almost like a diabetes type 3 type of disease that's very responsive to sugars. Mm-hmm. And so in a scenario like that, you know, you have someone who's, who might be... Uh, ketogenically appropriate person living with somebody who might need you know a few more carbohydrates and so it's you know it can can really vary quite a bit but at our house it it seems to work out pretty well that's awesome what about your boys when they were a lot younger because you have a lot of people who have children and they struggle to give them a healthy diet because they all they want is sugar how did you get around that well (laughs) you know and there's there's actually a couple of research studies that have came out in the past couple of years about uh, food likes and dislikes later on in age or in adolescence being highly correlated to the type of foods a child is exposed to early on. So, you know, for Mm. example, if you take a child and you accustom their palate to sweet cereals and sugar-infused baby foods or even artificially sweetened foods or, you know, you could even apply this to technology, you know, heavy exposure to screens, etc. Those children grow up being... Uh, a little bit more inclined to have a preference towards those type of foods. Whereas if you're introducing your child at a very early age to foods with complex flavors, umami flavors, bitter flavors, you're Mm -hmm. giving them things like like cabbage and sauerkraut and sardines and avocados and and little bits of liver and, you know, things that that really accustom their palate early on, uh, the child 
winds up growing up a little bit more inclined to eat those type of foods. And that's exactly what we did with our sons at an early age. We would go buy organic vegetables and organic fruits and, and blend them all up and then flash freeze them to have these little purees. And then we'd add things like olive oil and avocado oil and you know mash up salmon and, and puree liver and, and do all these things that basically <laughs> set up a scenario to where our sons were basically eating a lot of the same foods that we ate, just sometimes pureed, mashed, steamed, boiled, etc. And then as soon as a child is able to chew effectively, and this is based on a lot of the research by, uh, by Dr. Mew, for example, even Weston A. Price's research on this kind of, kind of alludes to the fact that a child should be chewing and exercising the jaw. And so mm. that'll directly influence you know, the, the shape of the teeth and the mouth, the dental health later on in life. And so as soon as a kid is able to start chewing the food, you want them to chew straight away because we actually have a society where sleep apnea is a big issue, teeth crowding is a big issue, poor dental alignment is a big issue, and part of that is the high, high amounts of soft, soft foods that a child grows up with, ultra-processed foods that are easy to chew yeah. and easy to get through the, through the jaw, and then when you pair that with a relative lack of a lot of these natural fat-soluble vitamins, you know, we live in kind of a fat-phobic era still, you know? so <laughs> the kids aren't getting a lot of vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, the things that help with bony structure and teeth formation. Mm. And so those two factors together are not doing kids or adults any favors from like a, a stature, jaw alignment, uh, you know, sleep quality type of standpoint. So, you know, so even when we go out to restaurants, right, from a, from a very, very early age, you know, you look at the kids' menu at restaurants, and what is it? It's, Garbage. you know, it's, it's chicken nuggets and, <laughs> and you know, or, or like white chicken skewers or like hamburgers and french fries or the macaroni and cheese, you know, mm-hmm. highly processed, heavily palatable foods that children theoretically, based on the restaurant's ideas, would and, and should enjoy. And uh, with, with our kids... And this hasn't been great for my pocketbook because obviously my kids now order like the expensive entrees off the restaurant <laughs> menu. But, but we, we, we usually send the kids menus back. We just let the kids eat off of our plates early on and then they order their own meals off the adult menu at the restaurant just because the kids menu is just total, total crap. It's hard to find something healthy on that. So we, you know, mm. in a nutshell, kind of treat the kids like miniature adults when it comes to food selection. You know, of, of course, under the premise that the adults are actually eating good healthy quality food with a wide variety of tastes and flavors no oh, that's and awesome. textures what's your approach in reducing inflammation in the body uh, is it like rem- remaining homeostasis or more hormetic stress i'm sure there's yeah. loads of different well i mean ways. you know as you know you don't want to reduce inflammation i mean it's just I mean, in the bodybuilding industry arachidonic acid is one thing they'll consume post-workout to amp up inflammation increase hypertrophy you know satellite cell proliferation mitochondrial density that all responds to a somewhat inflamed scenario it's like send your send your body to world war ii and back and if it doesn't die it comes back stronger uh but of course chronic low level inflammation such as we would experience with a prop or an improper diet or heavy heavy exposure to dirty electricity and emf or not enough time spent in sunlight or earthing or grounding or a diet that's very low in flavanols and polyphenols and antioxidants uh, paired with a lot of you know heavy training, which is of course inflammatory, and just general stress, which is inflammatory, dictates that for the average person, you're going to want to be doing something, as you just alluded to, mm. to manage the chronic inflammation. Um, there, there's a lot of, of ways to do it. I think that uh, that cold thermogenesis, you know, which I briefly mentioned earlier. Yeah. I think that a regular cold thermogenesis practice is fantastic for inflammation. In a post-workout scenario, you got to wait a little while for like the intense cold because it can shut down some of those adaptive responses that you want to exercise. And so, you know, if you're doing a hard training session in the morning, for example, you might save your like a longer ice bath or something like that for later on in the day. Although a quick cold shower, a quick cold plunge should just decrease the body's core temperature. You know, so you're not you know, you know sweating at work or whatever is is fine. Um, mm-hmm. Another another one would be a lot of these dark purples, dark oranges. You know, yellows, um, uh, blues, um, even some of the reds and purples. Basically, eating a diet that's very much like the rainbow gives you gives you a lot of anti-inflammatory compounds in the diet. With uh, you know, turmeric probably and, and curcumin probably being two of the two of the better ones that are out there, in my opinion. Some people think they're they're damaging to the gut or they can affect testosterone, but you have to have a pretty high amount for something like that to happen in a very concentrated form. Mm. Um, the uh, the other things would be you know, just just the basics, you know 
adequate sleep, uh, sunlight exposure. I'm a big fan of infrared light. This concept of photobiomodulation can have an anti-inflammatory effect. Um, and, how, often, and, uh, how often would you use the infrared light? Yeah, so, so infrared light, it depends. If it's on the head or the neck or the face area, the general rule is anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes spaced by 48 hours. So there's devices like the, the V-Light, for example, a V-I-E light. And that one is like a head-worn device that triggers the mitochondria in the neural tissue to produce more ATP. Mm-hmm. But the neural tissue is a little bit more sensitive to red light, near-infrared light, far-infrared light. So these are, are, these are spaced a little bit farther apart. It's a fantastic device, though, for anybody who kind of wants like a, a cup of coffee for their, for their brain in the morning. <laughs> The, uh, the, the full-body red light treatments, gold standard is 10 to 20 minutes, as long as the device is sufficiently powerful, usually about 6 inches from the, from the bulbs that you're shining on your body. So 10 to 20 minutes uh, every day. Once you, once you exceed that, the reason you want to exceed that is you can actually get excess production of reactive oxygen species, you know, back to the concept of some inflammation being good, too much not. Right. And so too much red light therapy in the same way that too much sunlight can cause burning or radiative damage to the skin is something that you'd want to avoid. But 10 to 20 minutes every single day, you can do, you can do red light. What about intracellularly, if you got too much of that? Intracellularly, too much red light? Yeah. Uh, you mean from, from like a tissue heating type of DNA damage standpoint? Yeah. Like if, I, I don't mm. think the tissue's heated enough in red light for that to occur. Okay. You'd have to get to a, to a, a pretty uh, hefty form of radiation, like a microwave radiation or possibly like you know, an ultrasound to cause tissue damage. I don't think red light is, is of a strong enough intensity to cause that. Oh, okay. Is there any particular supplementation which you reckon will be good to reduce inflammation? Well, a lot of these, these supplements that are anti-inflammatory, they do include the, like the turmeric or curcuminoids that I talked about earlier. There's yeah. also a, an extract of turmeric that's water-soluble called turmerosaccharides that can be very, very effective uh, and, and even uh, easier on the stomach than straight-up turmeric for inflammation. Uh, and then in addition to that, uh, uh, high EPA DHA fish oil, that can be a good, good practice. A lot of the research for heart health says one to two grams. A lot of the athletes who I work with or people who I'm, you know, I'm looking at who want to help with inflammation is closer to four to eight grams of fish oil. It's not mm. super duper high dose, but you know, two to three times the normal recommended dose of fish oil. Uh, and then uh, one that, that flies under the radar that I think is really effective is proteolytic enzymes. You know, serapeptase, trypsin, chymotrypsin, um, papain, bromelain, a lot of these enzymes that would normally be considered enzymes that you might take to digest food they yeah. can also help to digest uh, uh proteins in the body they can help to quell inflammation and those can also be really useful and then um the, you know the, one of the things that's that's been highly not recommended for athletes post-training is high doses of vitamin c and high doses of vitamin e because they're some of the most potent anti-inflammatory compounds that you can consume and so mm-hmm. you know doing something like a regularly scheduled vitamin c iv getting adequate vitamin e that's got a good vitamin E. Is, it's important that you get a mix of tocopherols and tocotrienols. And, and a lot of vitamin E products, they just have the, the, the mixed tocopherols. Uh, there's companies like uh, Designs for Health, for example. I interviewed a vitamin E researcher from their organization named Dr. Barry Tan. And we got into this idea of certain natural compounds like uh, the annatto plant, for example, being very, very high in these mixes of tocopherols and tocotrienols when it comes to, uh, to vitamin E. So those are some of the things to think about when it comes to supplementation. All right, so there's this thing you may see me wearing around my head, around my neck. It's smart wearable technology that goes way beyond monitoring your body. It actually impacts how you feel. So what this thing does is called a hat B. It plays back the unique magnetic signature of any popular substance, caffeine, alcohol, melatonin, CBD, THC, nicotine, you name it. It triggers the sensation of these substances without you having to ingest them. So no side effects, no chemical dependency. You're in complete control. You just pair the device with your phone and then you use the Happy app to select from a menu of the feelings that you desire. You can boost focus and creativity. You can unwind and relax. You can soothe anxiety. You can sleep better. So I could literally like put this thing in caffeine mode, go out at night, feel like I've had a cup of coffee. As soon as I take it off, the caffeine is just gone out of my system. I can go to bed, sleep like a baby, you know, put it in melatonin mode. And, and the thing just works like gangbusters, you know, and, and it works better the, the more that you use it. Like since I got this thing, it works better and better and better. It's like my brain is just getting used to the signal. And it knows what to do when I flip this thing on. So 
you get a long enough free trial to use it because you get a 90-day free trial of an all-access subscription to their entire Signals catalog. You know, the feel-good, the focus, the deep sleep, the energy, the calm, the relaxation, you name it. It's safe and accessible biohacking, risk-free, 100 bucks off a 90-day free trial. You go to hapb.com slash ben. That's H-A-P-B-E-E dot com slash Ben to get a hundred bucks off a 90 day free trial of an all access subscription to the happy signals catalog. All right. Everybody wants to boost their immune system these days getting in a sauna four to five times a week gives you that support. Plus it reduces pain and inflammation, increases the levels of these hardy little fellas called heat shock proteins. It helps to maintain muscle even when you can't work out and makes you feel on top of the world because penetrating infrared heat releases so many happy hormones into your body. In my house, you'll find this thing called a Clearlight Sauna. Clearlight is the sauna company known for shielding against EMF, and each sauna comes with a lifetime warranty, so you know they're built to last. The one that I use is called their Yoga Sauna. It's a sanctuary sauna. It's big enough for a workout or a family sweat or having a bunch of people down in there when you have a house party. They've got a variety of saunas, a one-person model up to like these four-person models that I use. And they have a quiz on their website at HealWithHeat.com that lets you figure out the sauna that's going to be perfect for you if you want to sweat buckets and get all the benefits of a sauna in the privacy of your own home. You go to HealWithHeat.com, HealWithHeat.com, and you can use code BEN for a discount and for free shipping, HealWithHeat.com, and mention BEN uh, or use the code BEN. All right, you probably know that the human body is mostly water. What you probably don't know is that everything else in your body is 50% amino acids. So amino acids are like the building blocks of life, essential for health, fitness, longevity. No matter how you like to move, whatever you do to stay fit, amino acids are essential. That's why Keon Aminos is my go-to supplement for just about like everything. It's the Swiss Army knife of supplementation. Uh, when you have a craving, you take it, the cravings go away. When you want to recover fast, you take it, you're less sore. When you have to sleep better, you take it and it keeps your appetite satiated at night. It, 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 like the use goes on and on. If you want to naturally boost energy, build lean muscle, enhance athletic recovery. I've had amazing athletes and coaches and trainers text me and be like, dude, what did you put in these aminos? Are they illegal? Do you have steroids in these? No, we do not. It's just pure, clean, essential amino acids. They're that good. The ratios are that dialed in. And you can now save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one-time purchases if you go to getkeon.com slash Ben Greenfield. That's getkion.com slash Ben Greenfield. And they'll get off to the races with the brand spanking new Keon Aminos. And I say brand spanking new because we've got a new watermelon flavor and we got a new mango flavor that's going to absolutely blow your mind. Check them out. Getkeon.com slash Ben Greenfield. That's getkion.com slash Ben Greenfield. Would you say you're religious or yeah. uh, spiritual or both? Oh, yeah, b- both. 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 Right. Both. Yeah. So, what, what got you into, I don't know, this journey of God? I was born into a Christian family. My, my parents became Christians when they were adults and they raised us children as, uh, as Christians. I really think that it wasn't until I was around 30 though where I really understood what it meant to be able to dialogue with God, where I really understood how to just be silent and listen to the voice of God to direct your thoughts and direct your actions. You know, it wasn't until later in life that I discovered the importance of the spiritual disciplines like meditation and silence and solitude and fasting and prayer and, and worship and, and even, you know, things like breath work, for example, that you can use to, to kind of enhance a spiritual experience. And it, it, it really took a long time for me to go from being like the Christians, like, yeah, I go to Sunday school and I believe in God and I sing the nice songs and Jesus loves me, you know, <laughs> game over. And to become a person who feels as though like I can be in daily dialogue with God. I can cast all my, my burdens on, on a higher power. I can believe in, in, in the hope that there's a greater story written for my life. And all I need to do is wake up each day and do the very best job I can with whatever God has put upon my plate for the day. It's, it's, you know, been, been a, a daily process of growing closer to God and understanding what it truly means to, to walk with God. Uh, understand that, you know, cause, cause a lot of like Christians, for example, it's like, Oh, I'm a Christian, so I don't go to hell. Or, I'm afraid of going to hell. Well, that honestly is, is not enough motivation to keep you on the straight and narrow path, making the right choices, obeying God's law, etc. What it instead comes down to is a deep, deep love for your creator and a love 
for your ability to be able to wake up, work hard, and then just like savor all of God's blessings at the end of the day. And so when your heart is full of love, not just love for God, but love for all of your fellow human beings, every last cell in your body, all it craves to do is obey God's law, like follow the golden rules, follow the Ten Commandments, don't lie, don't covet, don't steal, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife, you know, all these things yeah. that normally if you're just not doing that stuff because like, I don't want to go to hell, like that's, that really doesn't enable you or equip you or empower you to be able to, to really be, be the type of person that God has called you to be. Instead, it's, oh my gosh, I love God so much. I love my creator so much. I'm waking up every day so grateful for this breath of air that I get to take and the next breath and the next breath and the food that I don't deserve, but, but I've got it anyways and a job and money. And, and so when your heart is just full of gratefulness for what you've gotten, even though you didn't deserve it, and your heart is full of love for the, the creator that generated your very existence, then all you want to do all day is basically be that person who ideally is impactful and helping out a lot of other people in the world because you're following God's law and really the, the entire and the entire uh, Bible comes down to like two, two things, love God and love other people, right? And so if you love God and love other people every day, then, you know, life becomes very, very magical in my opinion. By the mm -hmm. way, do you know what this is? So this is nettle. These seeds, these seeds, these nettle seeds, my apologies to anybody listening to the audio, they can't see it, but these nettle seeds, these sell for a bunch of money, you know, in, in stores, the testosterone enhancing supplement. Really? And nettle's just the highest protein, highest nutrient density plant you can find. Like you could literally pick this stuff and you could survive as, a, as if you were eating meat for a relatively long period of time, just on nettle. It's, it's an incredible plant. Oh, wow. Yeah, we do a lot of a plant foraging at our house and I like to look at all the, all the indigenous plants when I'm walking around a new place. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Would you, um, <clears throat> do you reckon that um, all religions can lead to this, a similar thing? <clears throat> like, well, um, yeah. Finding God? <clears throat> all, all religions can lead to, to finding God. The question is who that God is and uh, whether the basis of that religion is founded upon you being able to do all the work to be a good person versus you saying, I can't do this on my own. I'm a fallen human being. I need the help of my creator to be able to be who it is that the creator has called me to be. And so when you ask that question and, and you step back and you look at, you know, for example, a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, um, you know, the, the Abrahamic religions, right? Like, like Islam or, mm. or Christianity. Yeah. They, they certainly have the belief in one God. The difference with those religions is, of course, the, the presence or absence of the Jesus component, right? So this yeah. idea that, oh, a deity came down from heaven, became an actual creature, sacrificed himself so that we would be able to be saved because there's no way we can be saved on our own. You know, whereas Buddhism might say, well, there's a fourfold path to enlightenment and all you need to do is identify your attachments in life, release those attachments, and then eventually, you know, be reincarnated and, and become better and better and better and better with each new life cycle that you might go through. I realize it's a little bit of a bastardization, quick explanation of Buddhism. But <laughs> yeah. the idea is, yeah, that's, that's you doing it, and it's your power, and you're eventually becoming God, rather than just like casting all your cares on God and accepting that there, there's, there's no way you can do it without being, you know, as Christianity says, like washed by the blood of, of Jesus. So I think that there are many paths to living a good life and, and many religions lead to that path of good life. I think that the only way to eternal life, to eternal life, to actually being in heaven and existing for all eternity with God, which I think is, is just a wonderful existence, I think the only way to that is actually through Jesus Christ. And so, right, right. so it depends, you know, if, if you're asking, can you be a good person, you know, without necessarily being a Christian? Yeah, you can. Can you gain eternal life? I actually don't think you can. Be mm. Just because, you know, as a, as a guy who, who goes to the handbook for my particular religion, the Bible, all I know is it says the only way to heaven is through Jesus. And so I can't say that I believe little bits of the Bible, but I don't believe other little bits. I just have to believe the whole thing is inspired by God. That's really interesting. Because you, you do have a lot of people that are trying to do great things, you know, like, uh, I don't know, humanitarianism or whatever. Um, 
different spiritual practices, but right. might not necessarily. Yeah, but they're not Christians. Yeah, and right. <laughs> exactly. And, and at the same time, like a lot of Christians, look at the Crusades. Look at the, you know, the 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 sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. Look at you know, there's 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 a lot of failures of of many religions, and Christianity certainly is not an exception. Um, the 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 idea of having some type of law, some type of moral order, some type of absolute morality is where you see a lot of benefits of many of these religions that have playbooks or guidebooks or rule books because I just, you know, I, I think about the worst thing is to say, hey, you you believe what you want to believe, bro. Speak your truth, which is very common these days. You don't want to offend people. We don't want to rub them the wrong way. But the problem with that approach is that if everybody speaks their truth, if everybody believes in what it is that they want to believe in, well, I might say, you know, Roger, right now, what would really make me most happy is to, like, you know, Kick you grab you nuts. and hold a knife to your head and, like, shove your face in that pond and try to drown you. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, no, 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 that doesn't make me happy. And we'd stand there trying to figure out whose morals are absolutely correct. And certainly we have certain things that, that bring disgust up or, or that, that we might think, oh, I'd never, like, you know, stomp on a baby's head or whatever. But then if you actually look at, at human beings left to their own volition and uh, human beings who kind of make whatever decisions that they think are right in the moment. Well, I mean, look at Nazi Germany, right? I mean, like, like when left to their own volition, human beings are capable of not making the right choices in the absence of some type of a God or playbook or handbook that dictates here, here is exactly what is right. Here's exactly what is wrong. Like, don't lie, don't kill people, you know, don't covet. Like, and so I, I think that that's a really, really important part of religion is it does provide you with a guidebook, you know, some, some sense of absolute morality in terms of what is right, what is wrong. Makes, <laughs> makes sense. I need to read the Bible more. Yeah. I used to go to church, but um, yeah, that's a, that's another subject. Yeah. So, <clears throat> talking of books, you read. I'm, I'm assuming you read quite a lot of books. <laughs> I do read a lot of books. I well, so um, I usually have a stack of books I'm working on. the The upstairs bedroom is typically like nonfiction. Uh, fun books, fiction books, like right now it's, it's Puzzler by A.J. Jacobs, right? Where it's just like a book about Sudoku and crossword and and, uh, and Rubik's Cubes. And it's got little puzzles at the end of each chapter. And it's great for putting you to sleep because your brain's kind of like, <laughs> oh, I can't do this anymore. And they just kind of fall asleep. So up in the bedroom, it's all the fun books that kind of feel like a waste of time, but that you're able to read when you're just laying there getting ready for bed. And then uh, I typically have... Um, a handful of books that I'm going through for people I'm going to interview for a podcast. I never took a speed reading course, but, you know, I have a certain method of getting through the books. I scan the table of comments. I, I scan the back of the book, the front of the book. I flip through to see how the chapters are structured. And mm. then I start in and I just basically trace with my finger. But, and I've just taught myself, kind of like when you listen to a, an audio book at one and a half times speed, then you get pretty good at 1.8 <laughs> and then two. And eventually before you know it, you're absorbing information at 3x speed. Mm. Right. And so, so reading is kind of like that. It's it's a muscle. And so, um, the other thing that I do is I'll listen to a lot of audiobooks. Again, you know, typically at like, you know, two and a half, three times speed. I, I rarely listen to music when I'm working out. It's almost always audiobooks when I'm working out, unless it's just a gut wrenching, difficult workout. So yeah, I'll I'll listen to audiobooks a lot. I'm reading a book a lot. I'll use the Kindle whisper sync a lot where when I stop reading on the Kindle, you know, say on the airplane, as I'm walking through the airport, I can continue listening where I left off. And then when I get back on the next plane, keep reading on the Kindle. And so, um, huge, huge amount of book consumption, only for me, but for my family. My sons know that basically if they ever ask for a book, there's not many things I'll just buy for them hands down, but they ever want a book i just i buy it for them you know i I assign them a book every week for which they need to write a book report so i'm teaching them how to read a lot of books at an early age how to how to write something about that book and demonstrate that they've learned something from it and i think that's also important is you know whenever i'm reading a book i take all the notes and at the very very end whether it's a kindle book with the highlights or whether it's a regular book where i've circled stuff folded over pages etc i i do one last review of the whole book so that if there's any major takeaways, steps of action, like, oh, I actually need to set up an appointment with this person I read about in the book, or this is a product that I actually want to buy and try, then by the time I've made it through the book, I'll then review and take any action steps that I've highlighted that I need to take in the book. And then there's, there's, there's one other interesting thing. There's a, there's, there's a lot of these, these services that will give you book summaries, and I love them, you know, like Blinkist yeah. or Thinker or Philosopher's Notes. I use a lot of those services because there's certain books that I am interested in but not so interested in that I want to read the whole thing, so I'll do the quick 20-minute PDF or audio digestion of the book. 
But the, uh, the, the interesting one is called Readwise, and Readwise will sync with all your Kindle highlights and then send you an email each week or each day with a few of your highlights from the Kindle books that you've read recently or that have been your favorites. And so it kind of allows you to revisit the books and automates the process of you being reminded of important things that you found in the books. That's so awesome. I love that. Yeah, it's a cool little app. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's that blink thing? Uh, so the, the ones that I use, I would say that the top ones that I use for, for book summaries would be Philosopher's Notes, run by a guy named Brian Johnson. That's got about 500 books on it. Really good short PDF summary and audio summary of each book. Mm. Um, Thinker, which is an app. Those books tend to be largely kind of like more political and a lot of times more conservative and libertarian leading, leaning books. Uh, it's it's kind of like my, my political leaning anyways. And so I like Thinker for some of my political and economics-based book summaries. Then um, a, a couple others are Blinkist, which does really, really great book summaries. There's mm -hmm. two people who I follow online, one guy named Derek Sivers and one guy named James Clear. And both Derek and James do really, really good book summaries on their websites, which again helps me decide if I am or am not going to, to read a book. And uh, mm -hmm. so th those are a few of like the book digest, book summary type of resources that I use. That's awesome. What would you say are your five five top books that you'd recommend on subjects like uh, mental agility, emotional, emotional oh. intelligence, yeah. Um, yeah. finance, oh, gosh. spirituality, just okay. like, you know, diversity yeah. of books. I think, you know, I've, I've got a lot of bookshelves in, in my home and those bookshelves are labeled. I actually had a librarian come through and, you know, they, you know spirituality, health, fitness, anatomy, you know, science, religion, et cetera, and then they're all organized by authors' wow. last names. So, you know, I literally have hundreds and hundreds of books, probably thousands at this point in my personal library, <laughs> and I don't even know how many on Kindle. But the, uh, the one shelf in my office is books I want to return to, like books I want to read again. You know, and inevitably, you know, one or two extra books gets added to that shelf each year. But there's probably about oh, 30 books on that shelf, and a few ones of note that I think are super beneficial. Um, Charlie Munger's Poor Charlie's Almanac, for understanding human cognitive biases and mental models, for understanding why humans might attribute a greater degree of credibility to someone in a position of authority than is really the case in terms of the existence of that credibility, or why certain human beings will assume themselves to be far more efficient or proficient or intelligent around any given activity uh, than they actually are, or, mm. you know, the... the reason that humans will see uh, you know, uh, price anchoring, such as something very expensive anchored next to something very cheap, and all of a sudden it will make the, the less expensive thing seem even less expensive. You know, just all these little <laughs> mental models and cognitive biases. So poor Charlie's Almanac, fantastic for understanding people. Um, there's another one uh, that I would say comes to mind, Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday for having a more, more stoic and a more peaceful existence and, and peaceful approach to life. Um, you know, I, I really like some of Ryan Holiday's work. He's, he's probably better known for books like Obstacle is the Way, but Stillness is the Key, I think, is, is one of his best works for introducing more peace and stillness in one's life. Um, I think that uh, uh, a, a couple other good ones uh, in, in some of the sectors you talked about, Ray Dalio's Principles as a business-based book, um, both his book Principles and then a, a similar book called uh, Rocket Fuel, which allows a CEO like me to, to better interact with members of my organization and, and understand how to, how to implement my vision. I would say both Rocket Fuel and Principles have been really, really good in the, mm -hmm. in the business side of things. I would say for financial, there's a book called What Would the Rockefellers Do? And that's an amazing book because, you know, for, I'm, I'm a big believer in legacy, right? I'm not raising my children. I'm raising my children's children and my children's children's children. And we have a Greenfield family playbook and Greenfield family values and a Greenfield family crest and, you know, a logo and family t-shirts and hats and hoodies and this, this deep, deep sense of belonging and pride and legacy in terms of what it means to be a Greenfield. But as a part of that, we also have a family trust. We have a family constitution. We have a family bank in place. So, so uh, generational wealth is distributed in the proper way. 
amongst you know subsequent generations and and again it's like a guidebook for the family and all of this are habits that you know you think of like great families i'm just going to use u.s examples you know but if you look at like i don't know the the bush family or the rockefeller family or the clinton family you know a lot of these families like how that family become like so great so powerful so wealthy uh, so impactful well in many cases this is how they set up their families a real real legacy based approach to to building a family and so, so that's another one. And then I would say if I could name one more, um, I think that, uh, you know, one of the early nutrition books that I read that I think really helped me wrap my head around something we talked about earlier, the dangers of seed oils, uh, the, the subtle nuances between fats, the importance of fat, and just generally gave me a real, real good nutritional philosophy. It was early on in my nutrition studies, but it made a real, real impact on me. It was Deep Nutrition by Kate Shanahan. Um, really, really good kind of ancestrally based mm-hmm. nutrition book. So I'd say deep nutrition. And that was my problem when I, when I wrote my book boundless, like if you read that book carefully, you wind up buying like 30 other books. Cause I read so much and I say throughout <laughs> the book, I'm like, Oh, well go read this book, go read this book. Oh, this book talks more about this, this book talks. So I consider one of my jobs to be just like reading books and based on what I've read, telling other people what they should read. I got boundless and I just, I got lost at the same time. I felt like I was going to fall in depression. <laughs> I was like, this book is deep. That's one that you need a book summary for. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm working on another one right now called Boundless Parenting, where I'm, I'm interviewing all these amazing parents from around the world and getting all their advice on parenting and legacy and family and some of the concepts we were just talking about, and all the way down to kids' nutrition and fitness to building legacy. And right now, you know, because for me, it's usually about a three-year process to write a book. So that one's at about 1,400 pages right now of material. And eventually, you know, when I get all the information, it'll be closer to 2,000 pages. Then I cut all that down. I edit it. I decide which babies I'm going to kiss goodbye to and, <laughs> and eventually, you know, put it into a book. But I do like to write big, comprehensive books when I can, much oh. to the chagrin of my publisher. I love the idea of the kids one. I, I did get one by uh, Robert T. Kiyosaki, although uh-huh. he does one on, you know, he does yeah. it on finances. Yeah, and Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. Um, he also has one for children, so... Yeah. I think like if you can if people do more for children, I think that would it would just start off the world in a better place. That's you know? that's the foundation of everything. By by the way, Rich Dad Poor Dad also has the cash flow game, which is a great we play a lot of board games with big family dinners each night and, and a lot of the games that I'll choose are games that I want to use to teach my kids important life principles. Like there's a fold out game called Rhetoric where you learn how to give impromptu speeches or persuade people or there's you know games like uh, boggle or scrabble that teach a child you know how to how to spell and how to how to build up their vocabulary or you know there's there's other games like exploding kittens or unstable unicorns that teach kids logic and and if this then that type of sequential thinking and so we're a big fan of games that that cash flow game is one that's fantastic for for finances you know that and and playing monopoly and intentionally and mindfully and understanding what what it means to mortgage and what it means to be in debt and what it means to have assets you know big fan of that stuff but the Mm. uh the, the question about um, uh, the, the children, you know, not only is, is the, way that we aff- the, the way that we affect change in society always starts from the ground up, right? It always starts with the kids. And so if you've got a bunch of kids, you know, such as, I don't know, in the case of, of America's educational system, you know, lining up in a row, putting a square peg in a square hole, a round peg in a round hole, learning at the same pace as the rest of the classroom, getting exposed to peer pressure and bullying, eventually being taught things, you know, about like being ashamed of your, your skin color or, or hating the country that you live in because of certain things that's done. You, you have kids that grow up, in my opinion, just basically really wired up the wrong way. You know, they're not like, at least in America, I'm noticing yeah. the upcoming generation, they're not like creative free thinking, resilient, like people with, with patriotic pride and, and pride about who they are and their own identity, whether, whether socially or racially or politically, you know, kids are just basically, they're, they're not marching to the beat of their own drum. They're instead just swallowing hook, line and sinker, what they're taught in a modern education system. And then you, you look at kids who are like homeschooled or unschooled and they're engaging a lot of creative free thinking and problem solving and experiential based learning and hands-on education. And I'm just more impressed with that group of kids, you know, painting with a broad brush from the, mm. from the children that I've hung around with. And so as parents, 
we must realize that if we're going to complain about the way that society is going, we're going to complain about politics, we're going to complain about the way that things are, we have to think very long term. We have to think, okay, how do I change this? Yeah, I can go and, and vote, I can go and lobby, I can go and protest, I can, I can go and affect change socially, but the number one thing you can do is train the next generation not to make the same mistakes that you made. Train the next generation to be better people. Train the next generations to be sub- subsequently better and better and better. And, you know, for me personally, I've realized that no matter what I do from a business standpoint, no matter what cool places I go to and travel or amazing people I get to talk to or money that's made or anything like that, I, it's very, very hard for me to be happy unless everything is just amazing at home. I pour a lot of energy into making sure my wife and I are always on the same page and there's radical transparency and radical honesty and I eye gaze with my sons and spend, you know, both, both you know, time, time with them one-on-one and then also together. We have big family dinners. Like I, I pour a ton of energy into making sure I have a really strong, stable, happy nuclear family unit because mm-hmm. everything else in life, very similar to the idea of how loving God and loving others does this, becomes a lot more magical when you realize the importance of family as a foundation and the, the great responsibility and the honor that comes with raising up the next generation to not make the same mistakes. That's powerful. So That is... Amazing. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah. It, it, you know, sometimes I do question why relationships break break so soon. You've got people who have a pattern of relationship break. Like, their relationship lasts for like a year or two years. And I'm oh, thinking... Yeah. Well, I can tell you why, why that primarily is. I mean, it, it started to be an issue when when uh, humans began like serial dating, right? Like I'm gonna date this person, I'm gonna dump him if I don't like him, I'm gonna try this person on for size, maybe see what it's like to have sex with that person, see what it's like to have sex with this person. And so what happens is that conditions you to almost have an unfamiliarity with what it means to be happy and stable with one person, just because you spend your entire teenage years engaged in this serial dating type of uh, t- type of existence, whereas, you know, in in a, I think a more appropriate we can turn on the other way, in a more appropriate um, scenario, basically, you know, you, you'd see like like a man would 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 court a woman for a long period of time and be with her family and get to know her sometimes for years and eventually marry and and maybe they hadn't had twenty or thirty partners before they got married. You know, my. My wife had no partners before we got married. I had had maybe maybe five or six girlfriends. Uh, but then you introduce Tinder and swiping and online dating apps and the ability to be able to move, move, move through people and, and swipe, swipe, swipe through multiple people. And then pornography where you can engage in a sexual relationship with sometimes up to, you know, 100 women within 20 minutes. And mm. we create a scenario in which human beings are kind of conditioned to be in serial relationships, polygamous relationships, polyamorous relationships versus embracing the stability and happiness and societal order that can be derived from from monogamy, from being happy with one person, from learning how to love someone no matter what, learning how to sacrifice yourself for someone no matter what, understanding that a relationship is not just about how good the sex is with that person, but how good the friendship and love and relationship and spiritual sacred connection to that person is. And once you start to look at your fellow human beings, back to you know loving God and loving other people fully as sacred souls, it's very, very difficult to like, you know, for, for a guy to, to go to a bar, you know, get drunk, pick up a girl who's also drunk, go home, you know, sleep with her and, and then just like say goodbye the next day because it basically objectifies a person as a carnal fleshly object that's purely there for pleasuring versus a person who's a sacred soul who you're going to go on to live with for all of eternity, how would you treat that person if you actually knew that was going to be the case? And how would you act differently around people if you really did recognize them as sacred souls that you will live with for eternity? Wow, that's super powerful. You know, that that made me think about um, a post I've done one time, and I asked people, what's your thoughts on unconditional love? Is there anyone that you love unconditionally? And then when, when I started to think about it myself, I thought, there seems to be a lot of conditions on why we love people. And it made me question, does yeah. anyone love anyone uncondition- yeah. unconditionally? I mean, you mentioned about Jesus and 
is the only person I know who actually does. It's, it's impossible, yeah. It's impossible unless you're perfect to love yeah. anyone unconditionally. And that's kind of back to what I was explaining before. If you try to love someone unconditionally, you can't do it of your own power. You're, you're just a, a fallen human being, a broken human being. It's impossible to truly, purely love someone unconditionally. In the same way, that's impossible to go through your entire life without missing the mark, without sinning in some way. But when you rely upon the grace of God and you say, I can't do this, but you're on your knees every morning praying, hey, Jesus, give me the power to, you know, and that's, that's part, like I say, a prayer in the morning when I'm swimming in my pool. I say, mm-hmm. our Father who art in heaven, uh, please turn me into the father and husband who you would have for me to be, into a man who will fulfill your great commission and remove from me all judgments of others. Mm-hmm. Grant me your heavenly wisdom, remove from me my worldly temptations. Teach me how to listen to your spill, small voice in the silence and fill me with your peace, your love, and your joy. Amen. So I say that prayer every morning, but a part of it is remove from me all judgments of others because I tend to be a judgmental person, especially coming from a fitness background. I'm fitter than you. I look better than you with my shirt off. Where I can play better sports than you. I could kick your butt, you know, if we were, if we were in some kind of a foot race. And so, you know, you, you tend to start to size up people, you know, especially when you're in fitness and you're in health. And, oh, look at that person. They're eating Cheetos. It's no good. You know, they, don't even, they don't even know. They're stupid. But once you... Once, once you're on your knees every day asking for help to be able to love people no matter what, it does become a lot easier. You're never going to be able to do it fully unconditionally until, mm-hmm. I mean, man, once, once you die and you go to heaven and you're perfect, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But, but, yeah, it, it should be a goal and it should be something that you actually beg God to give you the ability to do each day because, obviously, if you're going to live your life by the mantra of loving God and loving others, then you should be loving God unconditionally, right? Mm-hmm. Whether rain or sunshine, whether he, your house burns down or you lose your partner or what, and you should be loving people unconditionally, whether they treat you shitty or whether you, you know, they're not the same type of person as you with the same political beliefs or you know, the same tendencies, doesn't matter. Yeah, you love people unconditionally, but you're right. It's very difficult to actually pull that off. Mm. How did you come up with Keon? Like, where, where did the vision start to where it is right now? So Keon... <laughs> it was kind of funny because I, I actually I don't know if I've told this story before in a podcast. I may have, but there was one year in Kauai that I, I kind of took a, a heroic dose of, of psilocybin on the beach, and uh, I was with some other people, and they were all just kind of they were talking with each other and laughing and joking. And I was like, this is not the context I want to be in. So I wandered down the beach and just spent like four hours sitting on a log, and I I was thinking and I was journaling and I was writing and I was just looking at the sky and kind of in deep introspection and in a state that's sometimes more difficult to get into without the help of some type of plant that shifts your ego in a different direction yeah. you know and I, I don't think you should use plant medicines as like an oracle you know and, and, and say like oh the only way I'm going to know what God is telling me is to take a bunch of magic mushrooms but no to instead to just kind of shift your thinking in a different way the same way you might have a cup of coffee before you go do some deep work in, in writing and so you know I, I, I got to thinking while I was while I was there about how I'd really been craving to create something that was bigger than just me, to create something that could help people, whether or not they knew who Ben Greenfield was or whether they read my books or anything like that. Like, I wanted, I wanted to create something. You know, I think that God as a creator made us in his image, and we human beings, we, we crave to create something, whether it's a story or a piece of art or an invention, or maybe Elon Musk, it's a tunnel under L.A. or a Tesla, or, you know, <laughs> in my case, it was, like, it was like, I want to create something, like, nourishing and healthy and some type of a supplement. And so... Uh, at the time, I had been uh, I'd been partnering with a lot of different supplement companies as like an affiliate, you know, mm-hmm. representing their product. I was an athlete. I was racing all over the world, and and you know, kind of kind of pimping other people's products, so to speak. <laughs> and I decided, you know, I'm just going to make make my own stuff. I'm going to make my own stuff. And so, um, you know, met up with a with a wonderful friend and the CEO of Keon now, my co-founder Angelo Keeley. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a f- fantastic guy, and, and we just get along so well. And uh, we just decided we wanted to start a company where every single ingredient was sourced as high quality as possible, even if that meant that, you know, we had limited supply of some of the stuff that we wanted to produce. Nothing, nothing in any product that doesn't have human clinical research behind it in terms of efficacy and the exact amounts necessary. No fairy dusting, no proprietary formulas. I mean, we wanted to target the things people really need. We didn't want some fringe, like, I don't know, intra-workout booster. We wanted, like, immune system, gut recovery, sleep, you know, and, and then of course we do like a bar, we do a coffee, but you know, my, what I love about that company is I can, you know, I'm always reading the books, talking to the people, finding interesting people, learning about new ingredients. And then I get to sit down and say, okay, 
this would be cool to actually put together in a product. And Angela and I will have these phone calls where we're spitting back and forth in ingredients and setting stuff up. And, you know, we just launched a new sleep product that, you know, most of this stuff is for me to scratch my own itch. Like, I struggle with sleep, and the key on sleep just all of a sudden just crushed sleep for me, you know. Or I really wanted a clean energy bar that didn't freeze when I was in the mountains or melt when I was on a bike ride, so I developed the key on clean energy bar. I love coffee, but I want a really clean coffee, so we have, like, this you know, organic decaf and regular coffee. It's, it's, it's fantastic tasting coffee, like a healthy coffee that tastes good. And so, so yeah, it's just, uh, it's just been a progression over the years, but it started with me literally like being on the beach and thinking, gosh, I need to do something that's not just about me. Right, right. That's phenomenal. I mean, I use all the Keon products myself. I noticed that the serum, the, the skin serum has been removed. Oh, yeah. The skin serum... Uh, that's actually something that is now uh, 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 run under the name Greenfield Botanics. It's my aunt's company. So we, we just decided to shift the serum production over to her. So, yeah, you can still get it from Greenfield Botanics, but it's not, not under Keon anymore. So that she does, like, a serum and a, and a facial spray as well now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'll go check that out. So what's the yeah. future of Keon then, you'd say? Oh, Keon, we're going to continue to develop a lot of cool new products, but what we're really looking at now are, like, functional foods like how can we do like a, a gelatin based bone broth good tasting energy bar or how could we create something that gives you the nostalgic flavor of like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich you know in, in some type of a, like a like a smoothie or a powder you know we're continuing to refine our aminos which is probably our top selling supplements like the swiss army knife for recovery for fasting for muscle building for sleep the aminos are fantastic like one little scoop is like eating half a steak and so, um, so yeah, we're just continuing to develop and refine and also going after probably in the near future some more kind of like comfort food-esque type of foods. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I could ask a ton more questions, but um, I think we covered a lot already, man. <laughs> we did. We, oh. we did go through a lot. And uh, gosh, we got, we got our step count in too, huh? Yeah. Uh. I don't normally walk this much, to be honest with you. Oh, when yeah? You gym, even even as a bodybuilder, you didn't do a lot of like the aerobic cardio, like when you're cutting. Um, like that. You mentioned kettlebells. I do some kettlebells and battle yeah. rope and swing some power bags around. But actual steps itself, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't really yeah. mount up. Yeah, it's funny. I, I didn't do a lot of walking. I was bodybuilding, but I was a spin instructor. Right? Oh, right. So like three or four times a week, I was like hardcore on the bike, high intensity interval training, which is actually great for the quad development as well. Mm -hmm. So that was that was what I did with spinning. But, but yeah, so I've got a. Uh, I guess I got I gotta literally run back to my hotel from here and, and get on an airplane and head back to the States. But that was pretty fun. Oh, awesome man. No, thank you very much. When are you next in the UK, do you know? Uh I don't know. I had I made a lot of fantastic connections when I was here on this trip in all sorts of biohacking facilities like London Cryo and Bellacell and, and H2MN and, and a lot of amazing people. You know, Tim Gray, the guy who put on this health optimization summit, he's just doing a really great job. So I think Hopefully, uh, I'll, I'll definitely be here for next year's Health Optimization Summit, but mm, we'll mm. see from there. It's, you know, it's, it's not too long of a flight, but it's enough to have to have a really good excuse to come over. You know? <laughs> You've also been interviewed by Jag Chima. Yeah. yeah, Jag runs the, uh, like the superhuman biohacking type of uh, centers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Good yeah. friend of mine. Yeah, he and Chris Gethin and I did a tour of India, yeah. where, where we, we did a bunch of biohacking workshops and stuff across India, so... Yeah, he's a great guy too. So yeah, have yeah. you been to the Superhuman? Uh, not yet, but I am gonna try and help Jag develop like some of his IV and cocktail like infusion menus for that. So mm. we're talking, <laughs> we're talking. So all right, well let me awesome. see. I should probably press press uh, press off on the microphone <laughs> so I can pull up my locations and start jogging. But uh, anything else you want to say while the mic's hot? I think I'm good. <laughs> All right. I think I'm good. Thanks a lot, Ben. Right. I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah. Definitely want to get a training session in next time you're here. That's we'll do sure. it. I'll crush you, man. I'll crush you. We'll, yeah. do, we'll do arm day. <laughs> <laughs> More than ever these days, people like you and me need a fresh, entertaining, well-informed, and often outside the box approach to discovering the health and happiness and hope that we all crave. So I hope I've been able to do that for you on this episode today. And if you liked it, or if you love what I'm up to, then please leave me a review on your preferred podcast listening channel, wherever that might be. And just find the Ben Greenfield Life episode. Say something nice. Thanks so much. It means a lot.